for Major Tom. Probably not Major Tom, no. Probably not Major Tom. It's loud uh, enough that I can hear you. That's good. That's good. Major Tom's dead, so you might have to speak Don't you a bit louder. Don't say that. He came back. There were two other songs. <laughs> yeah, but that one that he did towards uh, the end of his life, doesn't it show a skull? Oh, Black Star. Yeah. On Point proven. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Major Tom is dead. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. To Major Tom. <laughs> well, that was hollow. Let's try that again. To Major Tom. Part two. <laughs> Drinking out of my, my sippy cup. Mm-hmm. Ah, man. It's not clinky clink. So, so much cleaner sound with my... Oh, I thought the box was still over there. I was going to just start rattling it off is, the technical actually. terms. It's inside that box. <laughs> oh, the sound is so clear with my S506s. <laughs> are you liking them? Yeah. It's, it's strange. It does isolate a lot more, so like I'm not hearing all the hums and stuff that I was mm. hearing before. I, I hope they don't pick up on the microphone audio, but can't hear them in my headphones, so I think we're in a good place. <laughs> Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presented mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, and once again, hubba da hubba da hubba da hubba Kristen Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> it's date day. Got to dress up. Date day. And I can actually fit into some of my old clothes again. How does that feel? Nice, but also like, because like this dress is a dress that I used to wear um, in college, and it does not fit the way that it fit in college. So there's that moment where it's like. <laughs> Like it looks better a couple I of years ago. I think you look gorgeous. We had to have a long conversation last night about you bullying my best friend. <laughs> but on the plus side. It looks great too. I can't. <laughs> I can fit into it. Fuck so, yeah. And it does not feel tight or uncomfortable. It legit fits. I'm so. proud of you. And it's a size medium. Yeah. It's, a, it's not a big size. It's not like a... I'm excited. <laughs> well, tell us about it. You've been killing the gym. I'm fucking going I, after it. I have it. not been killing the diet. Oh, so the progress has been slow. We're working on it. <laughs> um, yeah, which is, uh, I think... For the record, to... this is entirely Kristen's goal. I'm not an abusive boyfriend or yeah, husband. Brett, Brett talks down to me, tells me I'm fat, and I yeah. need to go to the gym. Point and... at her cankles. Yeah. And he, he's like, run, fatty, run! <laughs> Come on, tubs, up <laughs> <No>. the steps! <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, I realized, I think... Um, after our wedding in particular, like watching, <coughs> sorry, Ooh, choked in my own air. <coughs> Try to edit that out later if I remember. Um, yeah, after I watched like the video for our wedding, just like that, she still won't let me see. You've seen it. I just no, haven't. You have not shown it to me. Yeah, yet. you and I watched it together. Yes, nope. we did. You liar. We watched it together. <laughs> I just haven't sent it to your mom or my mom or anyone else. Um, yeah, no, I realized after that that I was not feeling uh, good about myself, but we got married in June, so it took me a while to kind of get in the momentum of it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I finally found a workout program that I actually really enjoy. I think my problem before was um, it wasn't because I, I work out at Planet Fitness, and whenever no. I was working out when we were living in Tennessee, I had like a trainer that worked there that was helping me. Um, and I think in theory, had I been a bit more dedicated to it, it probably would have been fine. Not that he was bad at what he was doing, like he was fine and he was in excellent shape, so I'm sure he knew what he was talking <laughs> about. But I also felt like they were more male geared workouts, and he would be like, do the set regime for. Like, however many weeks, he'd give me so many yeah. weeks, and then be like, come back, and we'll change it after that. So, literally, Monday through Friday, or whatever days I went, it was, like, 
the same five different routines I kept having to do, and it was very repetitive and very boring. Yeah. And I didn't like that. So I don't think I ever really, like, I'd be like, leg day, and then I'd skip all the <laughs> other days. <laughs> and um, I found a female, uh, I don't want to call her a fitness instructor. She's kind of just someone who found her own, like, program yeah. that worked for her and created her own program. And um, as people tend to do on Instagram, got famous because mm-hmm. she was bigger and lost a bunch of weight. And she has, like, a routine that's worked for her. So yeah. she... Um, very cheaply sells her guides and I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And, um, she's not like a professional, professional trainer or anything, but they've been like easy it's, to keep up like with. What you like about it, it's a very supportive group. You, you've said. Yeah. That. Um, yeah, the group is like very inspiring. So there's like a Facebook group and stuff too. But I, what I like about her routine is like, it's a serious workout routine. It's not like some girl who's just like, oh, we're going to go to the gym and sweat today. <laughs> um, like it is, girl power. <laughs> like it is legit workouts with like real weights and mm-hmm. like real weightlifting routines and stuff. And I feel, um, I guess, empowered by it because it's stuff that where like I can tell I'm getting stronger. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's a dude's workout routine. Like yeah. it feels like it's made for women. And um she eases you into it, which helped me a lot. Like my trainer at Planet Fitness was like, get down and do yeah. mountain climbers fat ass. You know, like my my trainer at Planet down. Fitness did not ease me into it. Yeah. I was like, I hate this guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Taryn and I went and did a couple of like sessions because you could actually do sessions with him. And yeah, he was, I hated him. And like, he was like, <laughs> like I would imagine what it's like in the military. He's like, no, if you stop, we're going to start over. Yep. You get your ass down there and you go. You can do 50 or you can stop at 48 and we do another 50. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did not like that guy. Um, and this kind of eases you in. So like, you feel like you're actually like succeeding. So by the time you get to the point where it escalates to being harder, you're like, oh, like this doesn't you're seem. You're prepared for it. Yeah, yeah, this doesn't seem impossible. So. <laughs> It's been good. Um, definitely building some muscles. Definitely losing some weight because I can fit into my dress. Fuck yeah. But uh, I gotta work on the diet. Well, we'll get there. Which we'll is why there. we've been doing date day. We've been doing date day. We've been doing healthy chicken Wednesdays. Yeah. You were so miserable <laughs> about it, though. It cracks me up how miserable you are. I about ate that it. meal for every day, for f- except for Saturdays when I would go down to the Mexican restaurant every day for like three and a half years. <laughs> but whenever you and I. Like, first started dating before we moved in together. And I think even after we moved in together, we would eat it a couple of nights out of the week. We yeah. still ate it regularly, and you were fine with it. <laughs> and, like, since we've stopped doing it, I'm like, can we just do it one single night of the yeah. week? You're like, this is the worst. <laughs> you made me create all these delicious, flavorful meals for you. <laughs> now you're taking them away? <laughs> you're throwing night. me back in the little box just that you know, caused my psychotic break? You know? What does your meal taste like, Brett? Mental health disorders. <laughs> Why did you eat it so often if you... Because I was living by myself and you can buy enough chicken to last a week for $11. Oh. <laughs> I was like, if you were so unhappy about it, why didn't you make yourself better food? Well, if you also remember, a lot of times I would forget to eat dinner and I would just find it in the microwave the next morning and go, well, fuck, there it is. Like even, it cracks me up. We still do... Um... Like quesadilla chip night. Mm-hmm. And even when you and I first started dating, yours were literally just the quesadilla toppings in a cold burrito. You didn't yeah. even cook the burrito. <laughs> and like, 
we uh, did HelloFresh for a while, and they had like a thing where you could like bake it um, with the quesadilla folded in the oven, like yeah. on broil, so it'd give it this nice crispiness. So we started doing them that way. And for the longest time, that was what we did, just cooked quesadillas. Mm-hmm. And then one night I was like, but nacho chips sound good, and now you're so resistant to going back to the quesadilla. No, I, I'm not resistant. I will eat the fuck out of a quesadilla. You're like, but no, you've introduced me to chips. You've introduced me to the chip crunch, and it's the ultimate fuck my life move. It's just sit on the couch, put the plate on my belly. Nacho chips. <laughs> well, that was my attempt, and I think that's what makes me sad about it. That was my attempt, because um, I think we started doing it during the pandemic. To quesadilla chip night? Yeah. Yeah, definitely since we've been here. Um, I think that was my attempt to try to recapture the plate that I would get every time we'd go to the Mexican restaurant. Because mm-hmm. they have this fantastic nacho chip meal that's like <laughs> fresh chicken and peppers and onions. And sometimes they'll put tomatoes in it with like queso drizzled all over it. And store-bought queso is just not the same thing no, as Mexican touch restaurant it. queso. <laughs> and yeah, like that was my attempt to recapture it. So every time we eat it, I'm like, it's not the Mexican restaurant queso. <laughs> So I'm just sad about it. So I'm like, I'm going to eat a queso. We should get us a cookbook that has like an actual queso. There might we be should. one in there, you know? We should. Get you a queso recipe. Because, yeah, every time we do queso here, I'm like, it's not the same, though. <laughs> so what are we doing for dinner today? Uh, sloppy Joe's. Some open but, face Sloppy yeah, Joe. deconstructed Sloppy Joe's. Fuck we're, yeah. We're not doing them on buns. These are not your mama's Sloppy Joe's. <laughs> they do not come out of a can. The only thing that's coming out of a can is the tomato paste because I did not feel like making it from scratch like she recommended. <laughs> I'm sure it's fantastic made from scratch. I may try that one day when I'm feeling more ambitious. And but... what's the side there, Kristen Bloom? Ooh, macaroni and cheese. Homemade. Baked. I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I've never made my own, actually. Me I've either. only ever done the box kind. No, I, I, I love it when other people have the balls to do it, and now we'll know how to do it. So that'll be <laughs> awesome. Um, I, I used to do... So I'm assuming it's going to be a lot better. I used to do the boxed mashed potatoes too before you and I started doing That's mashed potatoes sin. together. And then I was like, "What okay. is it? You brought ragu pasta sauce one day, and it was like in a big plastic Jar. jug." Yeah. And I was like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> you you were almost single in that moment." <laughs> I was like, who brought this trash well, into my house? My mom cooked with that stuff because she would make... She's white No, she would, she would make like a meat sauce. So she'd cook meat and she'd into cook the vegetables. Sauce, yeah. yeah. She just used it as a base. Yeah, so like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the jar sauce was just meant to be, yeah, the base for all the stuff you were adding to it. So like, for me, that's what I was used to. Because I was like, yeah. oh, you add extra things to it and you and I don't do that. <laughs> so that's kind of weird to me. I do miss the meat sauce sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the jarred sauce is definitely better than the big jug one it's got a better flavor yeah we typically do like a a spicy sausage uh on the side spaghetti so and then you kind of dice it up as you go but yeah we could definitely Ooh, you know the move is we do up the sausage we slice the sausages up real thick we cook that in a pasta sauce we could I miss hamburger meat in mine, though. That's what I grew up with. So the fact that you always do sausage with yours, I'm like, but what about the hamburger meat? Well, we can do a hamburger meat one There's a, I don't know if it's got meat in it or not, because I think it's in one of the vegan books, but there is a spaghetti sauce recipe in one of those books that I'm like, we have to try it. I'm down. Never made sauce myself, so. And I think it's in the book where the lady's really good at sauces, so I'm like, we have to try it, because she's really good at sauces. Because that peanut <laughs> dip was not fucking around. <laughs> I want to do that one again, but um, sorry, I know this isn't a food show. I'm I mean, just... this one technically is. 
Welcome um, to the Food Network. Is there any mistakes for me? <laughs> I want to do that noodle meal again with that peanut sauce, but like actually cook veggies and maybe like I want to do like a proper tips yeah. or like chicken or something with it and do yeah yeah like a because you need some hardcore help with your chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never really eaten with chopsticks before. I've done it like with sushi, but sushi is so big it's easy yeah. to get a hold of. No, we gotta gotta get you some French fries. We'll go pick you up some French fries from McDonald's. We'll sit over here. We'll practice chopstick eating. <laughs> It works. <laughs> Tried and true method. I learned in Japan. Not even bullshitting you. That's how they taught me. That's how I taught my friends. <laughs> Why French fries, though? Because there was a Burger King on base. So you could just drive over there and then go mm. back to the dorms and then practice your chopsticks on the French fries until you were good enough to go eat ramen. Makes sense, I guess. Yeah, or else, you know, everybody just points and laughs at you while you try to eat your ramen. You never get to it and then you go hungry. Or you eat with a fork. I- Good luck. <laughs> there were a couple of ramen places that had forks. That you was bring not your the, own. Yeah, bring your own fork. One of those pocket knives that has the fork and knife yeah, set like in. Like in Bates Motel where he had like the little butterfly. The butterfly like, fork. <laughs> I think his was a spoon, but yeah, we could get a butterfly fork thing going on. Just whip it out of my pants. <laughs> Fuck yeah, whip it out of your pants. The Brett Bloom store. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for Sloppy Joe's because I've only ever had the kind that because I think that's what most people do, the kind that you make with the manwich sauce. Yeah. And I liked those okay, but I am excited to make, like, our own. I've never done it without, like, pulled pork or something like that. Like, doesn't typically pulled pork? No, it's usually beef. And then it's been a really long time since <laughs> I had a sloppy joke. I'm, think, I'm just I think, thinking, I think of, a thinking of a barbecue pulled pork. Yeah. <laughs> Which we should do that sometime, because we do have a that's slow cooker. That's easy to do, yeah. Just toss it in the slow cooker and, and let that bitch bubble all day. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> we should do that. We did it. We had it with, uh chicken um like oh we did a pulled chicken yeah no you and i haven't but um your stepmom did that one time and i've never had it with chicken i've only Mm -hmm. ever had it with pork and i was like this is actually surprisingly really good fuck yeah so maybe a leaner option i'm done do it with chicken the (laughs) food cast i just make myself hungry i'm just hungry and sad and jax is looking at me like um so this week outside of food uh we watched a show and Kristen's gonna be a dog trainer I am. I am. I'm going to train Jax in particular because I'm the alpha and the omega. <laughs> well, what was that called? It was canine... Intervention, I believe. Intervention, yeah. It was really fucking cool. It was about these guys in California. and I don't know what his background is. I really wish they would have dri- well, dove into it. I have a sneaking suspicion because it ends so abruptly. Like, it ends on a really positive episode, but I have a sneaking suspicion. Suspicion. Because <laughs> um, the second to last episode is his baby being born in February, which is right before the pandemic yeah, really kicked so off. Probably got cut off right yeah, there. Yeah, I have a feeling they filmed that one episode and they were like, we can't do anymore. We mm-hmm. have to stop. So I hope yeah. it comes back because, goddamn, brilliant show. I work mm-hmm. in an animal control shelter if you're brand new to the show. And so, like, I was looking for things that I could bring to work, and the overall stories were really interesting, and all the different tricks that they used for the different kinds of dogs was really interesting. How well behaved they all are. Yeah. Like, even like the unruly dogs, like, after he like trains them for a couple of weeks, I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I gotta work on this. So, yeah, I'm gonna buy a little, little doggy treats and <laughs> train jacks to. You Not started doing it immediately because we'd had a little bit to drink, I think, for the first episode. And you were like, I'm going to take this stick and like walk him down the stairs or some shit. <laughs> no, I didn't. 
You were trying to make him sit in the kitchen. You were doing something training-wise, like, immediately after. I, uh, I think I tried to make him come to me. And, like, <laughs> I don't remember. But, yeah, he doesn't listen. That's <laughs> one of the things they talk about in that episode is not giving commands multiple times. And I always yeah. have to give him commands multiple times unless there's very specifically food that he wants immediately. Yeah. That's the only time he listens to If you don't treat me. them like a dog, they'll treat you like a dog. <laughs> no, so. if you treat them like a person, they'll treat you like a dog. That's right. Because, yeah, that lady with the booties on her dog was that <laughs> <bit> much. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going to train Jax. We're going to learn to heal. I think that's the one I really like. The one that you need. Yeah. Desperately. Yeah, because he, he's like a yank your arm off kind of yeah. dog. He's Especially not... now because he's on these meds. He's gained a substantial amount of weight. That's like trying to, you know, hold a linebacker back when he's going <laughs> down the stairs. Yeah, no, I've, I've given up. Like, he's literally almost always one whole flight ahead of me when we're going down the stairs. I'm like, I'm coming. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't know. He, he's an older dog. He's like five. So yeah. we'll, we'll see if you can teach an old dog new tricks. We'll see what we can do. Because me and him are going to start jogging. Um, we're hoping to be able to back even more off of his medicine and the weather's getting better. And I really need to get back in shape myself. So I think me and him are going to start jogging. I'm aiming for like a four or five mile. Speaking of getting in shape, I realized today I have this back here going on. Oh like yeah. Back here. Fuck yeah. So I've got like the shoulder, the shoulder coming in. And then this right here is starting to pop up. <laughs> like hey never had those before i don't even know what those are ain't nothing but traps back here <laughs> i was excited because like whenever i'm washing my hair yeah like i can feel it and i'm like oh hey <laughs> hey there <laughs> oh i am proud of you love thank you um so we want to dive into the i don't Things have relevant to our actual show yeah <laughs> Fuck it, I'm having fun. Who gives a shit? Um, so I'm continuing my journey with the Anatomy of Story by John Truby. Um, uh, I was only like ten pages in on the last episode. I'm now eighty-five pages in, so Ooh, we're fucking go. we're going. Um, I'm halfway through Anne Lamont, but I left her at work again. So. <laughs> you can't she's, leave Anne at work. She a, hates work. It's one of the key tenets of the book. She's in a cold, lonely, dark drawer. <laughs> That's not where I would keep Anne Lamont. <laughs> Um, but the anatomy of story, I'm still, I mean, it's very technical and I'm not that far in. Like I am 85 pages in, but it looks like I've barely fucking cracked the goddamn thing. Now, uh, when you said 85, cause I can see where your bookmark's at. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. That's 85 out of over 420. Wow. It's a small print book. <laughs> There's a lot in there. A lot of information. Uh, so I'm technically, or I'm past chapter three now, but we're going to start on chapter three because we did premise and then uh, the chapter, yeah, chapter two is premise. So that's kind of where we left off. I'm coming into chapter three <clears throat> and he's really starting to dive into his thesis at this point. It's Jack Sorry. slurping in the background. Nobody's in the background peeing for the record. <laughs> mm. Big gulp. Um, whew. So I'm, I'm, I can't do a deep dive of the entire chapter or we're going to be here all day. <laughs> okay, but I can I can hit the key points and then there's this really brilliant breakdown at the very end of the chapter uh, for those of you that are familiar with The Godfather because this guy uses like Star Wars and The Godfather out the ass to explain perfect storytelling. Star Wars is a fantastic series. Well, apparently. One, this guy loves it. One that you should watch. <laughs> um, the but, original ones, though. Yeah, so he has this uh, point. I guess I'll just read this 
opening bit here because why am I trying to explain it when I can just read it to you? The book's right in front of me. Uh, so this is on page 39 going into 40. It says, The Godfather is a long, complex novel and film. Tootsie is a highly choreographed whirl of unrequented love, mistaken identity, and farcical missteps. Chinatown is a tricky unfolding of surprise and revolution revelations. These very different stories are all successful because of the unbreakable organic chain of seven key structure steps deep under the story's surface. When we talk about the structure of a story, we talk about how a story develops over time. For example, all living things appear to grow in one continuous flow. But if we look closely, we can see certain steps or stages in that growth. The same is true of a story. A story has a minimum of seven steps in its growth from beginning to end. One, weakness and need. Two, desire. Three, opponent. Four, plan. Five, battle. Six, self-revelation. And seven, new equilibrium. The seven steps are not arbitrarily imposed from without the way a mechanical story structure such as three-act structure is. They exist in the story. These seven steps are the nucleus, the DNA of your story, and the foundation of your success as a storyteller because the, oh, sorry. Um, and the foundation of your success as a storyteller because they are based on human action. They are the steps that any human being must work through to solve a life problem. And because the seven steps are organic, implied in your premise line, they must be linked properly for the story to have the greatest impact on the audience. I know, I know that it's meant to be a bit textbooky, but yeah. I, I wonder, which is probably the thing that I feel like is the big downfall to a lot of the books that I have, because almost all of the books that I have related to film are basically textbooks. Mm -hmm. um, if going in with that mindset crushes some of the creative element, like, I feel like that's a lot of things to have to be, like, I'm consciously putting these steps in where, like... Well, what he's saying is it's not like the three-act. You're not consciously doing these things. But these things have to exist for the story to work. So after you've written it, even, you can go back and identify these seven steps in any story that mm -hmm. has a beginning, a middle, and an end without declaring pages, you know, 1 through 30 is act 1 and, you know, 31 through fucking whatever <laughs> as 2 and then 3. This is just what is. So you have these stories. They all have these hinge points. They all start with a weakness. And because they start with a weakness, you end with a new equilibrium and self-revelation. We're going to have to pause so I can take it okay. out. In the middle of the most common... We couldn't pause during the food stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. And we will be back. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we're going to make taco. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know, though. Like, I do feel a bit like... Um, that was something we discussed on the last episode when we were talking about the three-act structure. Some stories don't really adhere to that, so I feel mm -hmm. like being like, these are these guidelines, whether you're consciously or unconsciously following them, kind of sets up like, you have to do it this way. Well, his big argument later in the book, which I don't know if we'll cover today, is kind of... Um, 
remember in the premise episode, we were talking about that exercise that he lays out where he's like everything that you want to see in film that you've never seen in film versus a premise list. Mm-hmm. Figure out where they match, eliminate, you know, as you go along and boil it down. Uh, his argument later in the book is almost you write the story because you think of the climactic episode, like you're way, way, way deep in the story. So your premise needs to, or your beginning kind of needs to stem backwards from that. So you need the opposite of what happens after that climax as your initial character. That's interesting because... So you need a weak and needy character at the beginning. You know, not in a physical sense or not in a whiny, you know, nebbishy sense. But in order to have the self-revelation side, you Mm -hmm. need to have a character who is lesser than the initial concept, if that makes sense. It's interesting to see how different artists view it, though, because conversely, I've been reading Bird by Bird by mm-hmm. Anne Lamont, and I think one of the well, last... None of these are Bibles. I, I'm not, no, for I'm not sure. ascribing to this guy's theory. For I haven't sure. finished this book No, yet. it's just, it, I, I feel like it's really interesting to hear different people's perspectives, especially people that are accomplished in their careers. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, that was one of the things... Anne was talking about in one of the, I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't even know what section or what Mm -hmm. page, but one of the last sections I read was where she was talking about people that go into a story thinking they know what the major um, conflict is or what the character's major motivation is. And like she focuses more on letting the characters talk to you and the characters, yeah, Mm -hmm. decide where the story ends up going because you may have this one thought in your head and that it ends up being something totally different. Well, that's not different from what he's saying here, you know, or later in the book, in this part that I've not read read to you or the (laughs) audience, um, is that having the self-revelation step in your mind before you even start the book gives you all the same freedoms but it gives you the safety net because you know vaguely where you want them to arrive at Mm -hmm. and what you set out to be the conflict that is going to be the turning point in your story that might change you know in the writing of the story like your self-revelation that you think you have before you've really met the character um, might come way earlier and there may be something way bigger that actually is the self-revelation for yeah. the character. I feel like you and I have been having, especially lately, kind of an interesting back and forth with that because like we've been workshopping vaguely. Mm-hmm. We haven't really, really started workshopping, but like vaguely workshopping. You had some brilliant ideas last yeah, night. Yeah, this I- idea. And then I had one idea that was like a fucking <laughs> half-court shot that just swished right in the net, and I was like, that would be game fuck over if we did this on top of what you just said. Yeah, but we've been kind of throwing back and forth this idea for the story that we've wanted to work on for a while, and I don't think we've said what it is yet. I think we've kind yeah. of teased it, but we haven't really said what it is, so I'm not going to say what it it's is. It's based on a story that used to be on the website that is no longer on the website yeah um and brett and i have been kind of recently delving into it a bit more because here you know in the upcoming weeks we want to start actually workshopping it and yeah these are characters i didn't create at all so you're Mm -hmm. much more familiar with them but we've kind of had this back and forth of well what if this was happening to this character and what if this was this character's motivation and kind of like swinging those ideas it's interesting for me because it feels like we've brought him back to life and it's like this really dark period in my brain mm-hmm. that created that character that I related to and on 
multiple levels, I guess, still relate to in some way. Get this nervous energy, and it feels like we've brought him back. And it's like I'm hugging an old friend <laughs> <laughs> to like be like, "Hey, man, I don't think I told it right. Can I get a second go? <laughs> like, where have you been?" But it's it's been fun to see like that evolving consciousness of characters that don't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, what if we fucked with their world a little bit and made these yeah. bigger concerns and these not, you know, as serious concerns and kind of, I guess, like tighten the noose on the world that they're living in yeah, a bit. Yeah, even where does tighter. It go? And I, I didn't fuck around <laughs> with the initial story. <laughs> this is, I write traumatic stories and short snippets, or I used to. I, you know, I, I still do in a, in a way, but I'm working on the memoir thing, so I'm, I've put that off for now. But the Madman Diaries, for example, are just the moment of trauma. There's no resolution. Like, like I just wanted to show... Short films we've been doing are similar. Like they're yeah. snippets in the middle of what's already happening. Yeah. And we feel don't... how you want to feel. You don't know who this person was before this happened. You don't know how this is going to affect them for the rest of their lives. Welcome to the dolls. <laughs> <laughs> or Happy Birthday was yeah. a really good one, too. Um, well, thank brains... you. That was an original. <laughs> <laughs> brainstorm similar concept too but i feel mm-hmm. like happy birthday is a bit more of a there's a life after this and what is that yeah where brainstorm kind of had a finality <laughs> pretty, pretty finite unless you're the director in that situation how did that affect the directing ability of the the young you know rising star <laughs> but yeah it's it's been because i guess that's not um outside of college not really been an experience i've had where you're workshopping an idea and kind of developing as it goes and Mm -hmm. it's evolving with you um you know my other work has just been like this is what we're doing and this is how it turned out (laughs) this is the script i received (laughs) so yeah it's it's been i guess neat to see like how you can have an idea of the story and the mm-hmm. conflict and what's happening for the character. And then if you change little aspects, how much it can change their the world. whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> you can maintain the same message, but change their locale, you know, or what they're using to cope. And it changes the whole personality mm-hmm. of that character. But let's, let, let's play. I don't know if we could play this game with uh happy birthday. I don't know if my, my screenplay fits this structure at all. Let's see. Okay. So did we start off with a weakness and a neediness in the character? Something that needs to be resolved. Technically. Yeah, and because he had just lost a child and a spouse, but we don't know that until the end. Yeah. He's so just shaving his hair. <laughs> technically, but the audience doesn't know it. Do we have a desire? Uh, I think the immediate desire is to cope with the immediate situation. Yeah. And, um, and bury the Yeah, child. there's two dead yeah. bodies in the room. <laughs> so the immediate desire is to cope with the physical trauma in front of the character. I would argue three opponent is his own psychological state. He's trying yeah. to hold it together yeah. in the face of this. Uh, the plan to bury the child and then deal, the child. then deal with the dead wife. <laughs> the battle, I feel, is that scene of the wife in the bed. The self-revelation, I don't know if that happens on camera. Like, there's the sitting down. I think the battle is that the switch between sitting down and watching the static while the wife's dead in the next room and not really knowing. You could maybe 
call that a self-revelation and a new equilibrium is obvious. He no longer has a wife or baby. Yeah, I yeah I don't know if there is a revo- or a resolution in that one because I do feel like especially with the screaming. Well, a revelation meaning I'm no longer the person I was yeah. at the beginning. I think maybe just because of the constraints of how we did it, there wasn't room for the self-revelation because it all takes place very immediate. Well, I feel like, and and that's I guess my arguing point for like, and I don't I don't think and that's any, what I wanted. I wanted yeah. the workshop. <laughs> I don't I don't think anybody who writes these type of books means for them to be hard and fast rules. Even King's book on writing, I yeah. think, is more of a guideline of like, hey set a discipline yeah, but and figure it out. It's the old saying, you know, know the rules so you can break them. Mm-hmm. If you know more rules, then you know where to break those yeah. rules. Instead of having, you know, write a five-paragraph essay, you can write a 16-paragraph essay. You, know? <laughs> like you can bring those same things that you learned, but now I have seven more steps mm-hmm. that I'm aware of, and I can break them, you know, yeah. where and I need they be broken. Someone else watching, not that our short films are scholarly enough to be no, analyzed I'm just, but <laughs> i'm analyzing them as we created yeah. them and but like someone else watching happy birthday might try to argue a different point but from the perspective of someone who actually created the film for me i think the point of that wasn't that there's any resolution or that the character doesn't have this big revelation like the mm-hmm. end of the film well is... that was everything in the madman diaries had that feel mm-hmm. where it was like it's not intended for them to change yeah. it's supposed to left have left them shattered yeah and they don't know and, what to do yet yeah and the end of happy birthday is the sound of the train tracks like screaming mm-hmm. to a halt and like the point for me of happy birthday is there's still this white noise of how do i go on from here yeah. And we don't know where we go on from here. Yeah. Like the- I know that the initial reaction was not healthy. I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, like, for me, like, things like these uh, lists are, I guess, like, helpful. But, like, I, I think unless you're totally new and mm-hmm. a novice and you've never done any work at all, like, it's a better guideline if you're trying to find a starting point because you don't have any experience with it. But I think once you're more experience yeah like you said it's like knowing the rules so you can break the rules well i'm learning these rules like i didn't i didn't know that there was this underlying seven step Mm -hmm. like i knew that you had your hero and you had your opponent i knew the basics of the three act and the five act Mm -hmm. but i've never thought about film analyzing it from these seven steps Mm -hmm. so i know i'm gonna have a weak character and i'm gonna do the godfather here in a minute so that you can kind of see how he's looking at it but i don't feel like it's a hindrance or a limitation i don't think that you should be reading this quite frankly if you're not trying to be a writer you know like um as far as like if you're gonna choose a writing book don't start here yeah this is way too like master class (laughs) you know start with something I think it's a hindrance if you read it as an end-all, be-all, which I don't think it's intended to be. Yeah, which I can't treat anything like that. Yeah, and like I... I I have the Bible and the um, Bhagavad Vita, which I can never fucking say, and somewhere in here I've got the... um, I can't... Not al- the, 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 yeah, the religion. I'm not allowed to forget the name the of the book for. I have the Quran like, right behind me. <laughs> yeah. I don't treat any one of them as a religion that I, you know, put forefront, but I learn lessons mm-hmm. if I want to pop into any of the three. So I even got the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you to make a really dumb No, point. you're fine. <laughs> I just, I like, I don't know. I, there are still a lot of things that I 
have to learn. So I'm not mm-hmm. by any means um, discounting stuff like this. I, I think there's in any work like this, like a lot of valuable lessons to take away. But yeah, I guess that would be my caution to someone who is new and is reading a book that's like, do it this way. Yeah. Like one of my favorite books that you I You make own. it mechanical if you follow the exact steps. Yeah, yeah. And like you lose your <coughs> creative input as an artist. And like one of my favorite books that I own, actually, I think it's a three-part series called Master, yeah, Master Shots. It's volume ones, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of it is teaching you um, very specific rules that are known in filmmaking and things that you get yeah. taught in film school. And then in the very next page, they're like, and this is how this very successful film broke this rule because they understood... <laughs> why this rule is significant. Yeah. And like, I like stuff like that is like understanding. Like take anything written by Kafka. See if it even kind of fits this goddamn <laughs> yeah. format. Like, I, I like understanding why we think certain ways and why we view things certain ways and why certain things impact us in certain ways so that then you can, yeah, mm-hmm. like really like rip someone's heart out yeah. with like, the opposite where it's like, yeah, happy birthday doesn't have an ending. There is no conclusion. There is no, where does this character go and how do we heal? It's not riding off into the sunset. He's not riding off at all. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just boom pain. Mm -hmm. And like, this is a universal experience. We all feel is pain, but how do we individually then cope with it? And I think the point of art that knows how to break these rules in a successful way is then communicating in very personal ways to other people. Like if you leave something open-ended, most people will then go from there and be like, this is how I feel in these type of situations instead of this is how I'm supposed to feel. What I like about happy birthday, and I've never thought about it until you explained it that way is the private moment is supposed to be the trauma. The Mm -hmm. public moment is supposed to be the recovery, you know, for a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, people join AA and they, you know, brag about their chips or, you know, they lose a family member. The death of the family member is very private. The rest is very public. Like, Hey, can I help you? I've been through this thing Mm -hmm. with happy birthday. We don't even get the closure that we get in the dolls. You don't get that character again. So I've shown you the most private moment and we've left the recovery to that world that we're never going to understand. We got to see something that we should not have been seeing and we're missing the part that we should have seen. (laughs) And and I'm not, I'm not saying that we nailed it by any means. I think we're gods. (laughs) I think we're gods amongst men. I'm not saying people are going to watch happy birthday and be mentally changed. (laughs) But I I think the point of works like that, for instance, if I was going to try to relate it to a universal human experience, leaving off the resolution or how the character evolves from there, then takes people who've had these private pains of, whether you've had a miscarriage or you've had an abortion because it wasn't, you know, what you needed in your life at that moment. Those are very private pains. And all we see is this character experiencing this very private moment of pain. And then from there, as individuals, we go, how did I feel and how did I evolve and how did this impact me? So like, I, I, does he call the ambulance? Does he call the police? Does yeah. he bury his own wife and forget it never fucking happened? Yeah. How does he go about what steps? Does he two? go to therapy afterwards? Yeah. Does he become a serial killer afterwards? <laughs> like, Did he kill his wife? Did she die in labor? You know, <laughs> for anybody who's seen the movie, she was intended to have died in labor. That's, 
She was supposed to have died and the baby was supposed to die, but we couldn't get a baby in the winter in Montana, so we used a doll we know. Shut the fuck up. But you should see the little edited clip where we tried to use a baby's head. <laughs> so bad. It was awesome. It was so bad. <laughs> I almost got it, but then there was I I have not perfected um green screen and special yeah. effects and stuff that's not really my forte i'm still learning um and i almost got it because i had it motion tracking with the motion of the baby and then brett's arm passes across the face of the baby mm-hmm. and i could not figure out how to fade it out in time yeah. with his arm passing <laughs> so the baby's face was still there while my yeah. hand was over the baby. yeah it was, it was not great i Special effects are not my forte. I do practical effects. Uh, did you try fun. layering? I, I hear that's a phrase. That's a thing. <laughs> but no, I like I I do think stuff like this is useful. But like I guess my immediate reaction, having already gone to school and having like, yeah. um having studied. broken some rules yeah, yourself. Yeah, having broken yeah. some rules myself is like, ooh, but you don't have to if you don't want to though. Well, that, yeah, yeah, but you have to kind of come in like clean slate, you know. Um, most people that's an ignorant thing to say never mind what (laughs) (laughs) most people that go into books like these um i don't envision as being unless this is a book that was given to you in a college course i don't envision people that have gone to school for it picking up a book like this if that's making sense at all i feel like this is i want to make movies but i don't want to go to school so i'm gonna take a college class and a book real quick Mm -hmm. and then they absorb this as god as opposed Mm to like i went to school for four years and every class i had a different writer who broke the rules in different ways and had different rules so i can approach this as just another lecture that's funny to me because i feel like a lot of people definitely do that because um if we're being honest unless you want to teach um both of our career paths aren't necessarily career paths that require you have to go to school mm-hmm. um pretty much higher education is about the only time that you run yeah. into a point where it's like it's you a joke have to... i say all the time we learned how to write everything we needed to know about writing we learned in the third grade and i just kept going <laughs> yeah and, and so you don't have to go to college and i'm not, i'm not by any means like saying if you don't go to college to study, um, that you're lesser. Um, there are a lot of fantastic, yeah. very successful people in both of our fields. Very smart people school. who just get it right yeah. off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, and, and there are people, yeah, that do that by books and try to self-teach. But, like, I had the opposite feeling. Like, I went to school because I wanted to be amongst my peers learning and have these experiences. Mm-hmm. And school also afforded me the opportunity to buy my own gear. So now that I'm out of school, I have basically a full studio's worth of equipment. I just don't have a studio. Um, But while I was in school actively learning from teachers, like I was still buying textbooks on the side that my teachers were either passing or in passing recommending or someone else that was like in the field had recommended. And so I would go to school and read the textbooks that my teachers recommended. And then I'd go home and read the textbooks that I bought for fun. So like I had the opposite approach. I was like, I'm learning here in this environment, but it's not enough. I want to learn more. Yeah. Well, that's why you made a lot of A's in college. <laughs> and I have like a 2.5. <laughs> yeah. I, and... I read the textbooks and then I read... I mean, I guess I did the same exact thing, but I read more outside of the thing. And then they'd be like, here, write this, you know, my Shakespeare teacher. Write me a uh, fucking 
thing where you see Shakespeare in modern TV. And so he asked for a five page thing on, you know, that topic. And I turned in like a 12 page paper about Sons of Anarchy, (laughs) basically shitting on Hamlet and going, this is the exact reason why Shakespeare should not be taught college when you could just watch Sons of Anarchy. (laughs) You do it too. I feel like being a writer is different. You do it too because you have a lot of books that are just like books for fun that you read that are intellectual books they're not textbooks though but they're books by very accomplished authors so i feel like that's kind of similar i have all the cormac mccarthy (laughs) i have all of the king (laughs) but yeah i very much while i was in college was like i'm not learning enough i want to learn more (laughs) well that's what i got my degree in though so like when i'm reading you know a a book outside of this but just a regular fiction book um i'm still learning because that's the craft that i want to do and Mm -hmm. it's one of the things that Stephen King brings up and on writing is to write a lot you need to read a lot Mm -hmm. like you have to have this understanding of your craft we watch a lot more movies than your average American person because you make movies and you learn tricks from those films Mm -hmm. and I I learn tricks from these books I think that's something Anne brings up in her book too she says something along the lines of needing to learn to read like a writer Mm -hmm. um so yeah, similar concept. The That's more... where Arroyo pulled his whole thesis for the college course and had me underline and shit that I still do today. <laughs> um, but can I do the Godfather breakdown? Yes. And then, uh, yeah, we should have enough time to do the last little bit here. Um, so this is on page 54. It's, again, we've got weakness and need, desire, opponent, plan, battle, self-revelation, and new equilibrium. Just to keep us on track. And this is, he does a couple of different films. The Godfather is the only one. He refers to Tootsie all the time. I've never seen Tootsie. He talks about Citizen Kane. I'm familiar with Rosebud. (laughs) But he brings up The Godfather and my dad bought me the box set when I was 13. It's been one of my favorite movies since I was way too young to be watching that fucking film. But Star Wars though. But Star Wars though. (laughs) I wonder if the... No, you do, do The Godfather. He uses Star Wars. You and I have both seen The Godfather. Yeah. So The Godfather, if you don't know, was based on a novel by Mario Puzo. It's over there somewhere. Uh, The screenplay was by Mario Puzo. By over there somewhere. He's pointing at the entire wall. (laughs) It's it's one of those books. I've I've got two or three of Puzo's works. Um, I like him. Uh, Novel by Mario Puzo. The screenplay by Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola, 1972. Coppola. Coppola. Um, So... He's going into the whole fucking thing. Sorry. I, he, he's going into things I didn't talk about. So let me pick up where... Okay. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just read it as he's got it broken down. But basically the weakness and need is going to pull in. He's got a thing called weakness, psychological need, moral need, and problem. That There's leads. multiple needs. Yeah, he's got... Well, there's layers to the the need because you need a moral need and a psychological need. So what the character needs and what the author is trying to convey, if that makes sense. So your hero, of course, the Don, Michael Corleone. (laughs) Your weakness. Michael is young, inexperienced, untested, and overconfident. If you remember, he's just gotten back from the war. He's a Marine, and he's not a part of the crime organization at the beginning of the film. He just wants to love Kate and, you know, be happy and live the all-American life. The psychological need. 
Michael must overcome his sense of superiority and self-righteousness. The moral need. He needs to avoid becoming ruthless like the other mafia bosses while still protecting his family. The problem. Rival gang members shoot Michael's father, the head of the family. That is a problem. And as you would, you know, if you were going to break it down to act structure, that's the end of act one. (laughs) The Don gets shot buying oranges in the marketplace. Fredo can't cope. Sonny's furious. That's the end of act one. So then we go into the rest of the seven. The desire, he wants to take revenge on the men who shot his father and thereby protect his family. The opponent, his first opponent is Salazzo. However, his true opponent is the more powerful Barzini, who is the hidden power behind Salazzo and wants to bring the entire Corleone family down. Michael and Barzini compete over the survival of the Corleone family and who will control crime in New York. The plan. (laughs) Michael's first plan is to kill Salazzo and his protector, the police captain, the restaurant shooting. His second plan is to kill the heads of the other families in a single strike. Baptism by fire. (laughs) The battle. The final battle is the cross-cut between Michael's appearance at his nephew's baptism and the killing of the heads of the five mafia families. At the baptism, Michael says that he believes in God. Clemenza fires a shotgun into some men getting off an elevator. Mo Green gets shot in the eye. Michael, following the liturgy of baptism, renounces Satan. Another gunman shoots one of the heads of the families in a revolving door. Barzini is shot. Tom sends Tessio off to be murdered. Michael has Carlo strangled. All in one beautiful scene. (laughs) So then you have your psychological and moral self-revelations. First is the psychological self-revelation. There is none. Michael still believes that a sense of... Michael still believes that his sense of superiority and self-righteousness are justified. His moral self-revelation. There is none. (laughs) I like that, that they point out that you don't have to have one. Yeah. Michael has become a ruthless killer. The writers use an advanced story structure technique by giving the moral self-revelation to the hero's wife, Kay, who sees what he has become as the door slams in her face. And that scene where they're all kissing his ring and... uh, can't remember who closes the door but walks up while she's did you have him killed no no i would never do that you can ask me one time about my affairs (laughs) and the new equilibrium michael has killed his enemies and risen to the position of godfather but morally he has fallen and become a devil this man who once wanted nothing to do with the violence and crime of his family is now its leader and will kill anyone who betrays him or gets in his way and that's the Steps presented in a classic film. I like it. I love that movie. (laughs) We should, since we just finished Bates, we should watch Psycho tonight and see if there are... I'm down. Like, if there's The seven steps? Yeah. Well, your weakness and need is obvious. Needs mommy. Mother. Not happy that mommy's not around. Desire needs mommy. Opponent. Mommy. Plan. Mommy. Battle with mommy. Self-revelation with mommy. It's New equilibrium, mommy. I've become mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and one more love. Yeah. This is more just an interesting um, thought than it is um, something that we necessarily have to 
talk about. And I'm going to cut some of these short because they go into a lot of... Um, ah, fuck it. I'll just read it. <laughs> so it's the self-expressed as a character. Before we can talk about true character change and how to create it, we first have to get some idea of what the self is, since that is what's changing. And to do that, we have to ask, what is the purpose of the self in storytelling? A character is a fictional self, created to show simultaneously how each human being is totally unique in an unlimited number of ways, but at the same time, always and forever human with features that we all share. This fictional self is then shown in action, space and over time, and compared to others to show how a person can live well or badly and how a person can grow over his lifetime. Not surprisingly, there is no monolithic concept of self in the history of story. Here are some of the most important ways to look at self. 1. <laughs> a single unit of personality governed internally with an iron hand. This self is clearly separated from others but is searching for a destiny. This is what the self was born to do, based on its deepest capabilities. This sense of self is common in myth stories, which typically have a warrior hero. 2. A single unit comprised of many often conflicting needs and desires. The self has a strong urge to connect with others and sometimes even subsume another. This concept of self is found in a vast array of stories, especially in the works of modern dramatists like Ibsen, Chekhov, Strydberg, O'Neill, and Williams. I'm sorry, I'm burping. <laughs> Three, a series of roles that the person plays depending on what society demands at them at the time. Twain may be the most famous proponent of this view. He created his switch comedies, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court and The Prince and the Pauper, to show that a person is largely determined by his position in society. Mm -hmm. But even in Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, Twain emphasizes the power of the roles we play and how we usually turn out to be what society tells us we are. 4. A Loose Collection of Images so unstable, porous, malleable, weak, and lacking in integrity that it can shift its shape to something entirely different. Kafka, Borges, and Faulkner are the major writers who express this loose sense of self. In popular fiction, we see this self in horror stories, especially ones about vampires, cat people, and wolfmen. <laughs> I apologize because I feel like I'm pushing back a lot on this book. No, no, no. Push. <laughs> I, know, I, I didn't write the fucking thing. I know. I think it's because I'm reading Anne Lamont's book. and like some I think of the... that's what makes the conversation <laughs> even more fruitful. I, I think some of the points you keep bringing up are points I recently read. Like, I'm only halfway through the book, so I still have, like, the whole other half to go. I would, I would trust Anne Lamont when it comes to <laughs> sense of self. Well, she, like, did acid with Ram Dass. She knows who the fuck she is. Well, again, like, you read these types of things, and I'm like, okay, there are some facts to this, and they're interesting premises to keep maybe at the very back of your mind. Yeah. But they're not things I feel like, personally, I would keep at the forefront of my mind, because then you develop these very static characters that aren't personal and people can't relate to on an individual level, because it's like, oh, that's the stereotypical villain mm -hmm. or the stereotypical hero, where... 
Anne is talking about um, developing your characters and how you don't truly know the character yeah. and you have to let the character not teach them. you let who they are. Let them walk you around. Yeah, and them. like one of the big things that she says, which is what's so funny about that point to me, is she's like, do not write a character based on a fictional character that you've read about yeah. or you've watched or whatever. She was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> she's like, take your actual real life experiences and then mingle them with what you're observing in the world. So write about your dad, but give him the characteristics of that weird twitchy homeless dude that yeah. was at the laundry and mat. Give everybody a tiny penis. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, it's very personal characteristics that she's like, bring in because these are all very uniquely individual characters and you need to learn who they are. Yeah. Not there's a formula for creating a character and a formula for how characters well, should act. I don't think that he's saying these are how the characters should act. I think he's thinking of them as examples of like you need to flesh out your characters. But like it, you need to. It's almost like genres in films and books. He's a though. screenwriter. Like Anne Lamont's <laughs> talking about writing books. Yeah. Like this guy's largely talking about writing films. But to me, it's it's the same concept of genres. So it's like, oh, you have a horror genre and you it's have these points you have to meet, or you have a rom com yeah. and you have these. This points formula. you have to meet. Yeah. So yeah, so it's a formula for the basis of who the character is and then you flesh them out from there. And for me, that's not compelling. Like, I want to meet your dad who's crossed over with the homeless dude on the street. <laughs> you know, I want to meet that weird person who has these very personal tics that you knew, like, meshed with the rando you met on the street one yeah. day and, like, who that develops into. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't want... A formula for the people. I would agree with that. I would, again, though, refer to this as a college lecture. Mm -hmm. Because how many times did I have to read Hamlet? How many times did I have to read Kafka? How many, you know? It's like, this is what good writing is. And it's like, nobody ever made me read Cormac McCarthy. And I think he's the greatest writer who's ever lived. Well, <laughs> I, and I, I feel like that's the thing and that his I've... characters are just basic cowboy stories. But, like, they're not basic cowboy stories and i feel like that's the thing that i like admire about you which like i know you went to school and that was um i think something arroyo like talked about with you guys like observing moments and observing yeah. people and sit stuff down like that. outside so, for 15 minutes and just write about yeah. what you see do not ascribe anything to it don't yeah. call the tree a metaphor it's just a fucking tree is yeah. it blowing to the left write down that it's <laughs> blowing to the left yeah so you did in like actuality in the real world have professors who were kind of teaching you this like importance of observing the world around mm -hmm. you but then you also wrote the madman diaries and I, did that come out before um you had classes with Arroyo, or was that yeah, all? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, then I feel like the Madman Diaries is also an example of how you were doing that in your personal life already. These are snippets of very particular characters in very mm -hmm. particular situations, and they're not like Beowulf well, like, on the hero's journey. No, story, <laughs> story fifty-five, where he's just sitting writing in a notebook, watching out the college like court area, you know, like with all the. What, what is it called a court courtyard courtyard it's like it's not courthouse what the mm. fuck do you call it i know it has a court yard <laughs> um, but basically all that character is doing is sitting and waiting for a girl to walk out of a classroom who he's in love with or you're led to believe um he's in love with and then when she leaves he runs across the courtyard and stabs her and then he mm -hmm. goes 56 so the whole time it was nothing to do <laughs> with his like obsession with the number 55 it was that was his kill count mm -hmm. and he was just watching her and like 
Am I making sense? Yeah, at all? no, you are. I think and, I had and, one too many beers. <laughs> and that's the point that I was making, though. Like, and I feel bad because, like, I'm sure this is a perfectly lovely book. I've not read it. <laughs> I feel bad pushing back at every point that you make because I'm like, oh, but like, I like the idea. No, don't of, of... feel free to push back. <laughs> I like the pushback because I'm not ascribed to this guy's theory. Mm. You know, this isn't my Bible. I want the ideas to be challenged because I I push back on him a lot while I'm reading it as well. But yeah, I, I personally, I I don't know. Like, I think it's important to learn structure in your artwork because if you have no structure at all, you're just out there floundering. That like, you, you have to, yeah, you have to have structure. And especially as a filmmaker, there's so much structure you can't ignore. Like, if I ignored yeah. the technical aspect, my films would look like garbage. Or if you ignored starting off weak and ending, you know, either weaker or stronger then you, you have a flat story mm-hmm. all the way across at yeah. a character level. Yeah, so there like, has to be a change yeah. somewhere. And, like, I, I get that those fundamental structures are extremely important, but, like, I don't like reading books, and I've read them myself as well. Where I like it's that like... he admitted that the Godfather had no <laughs> yeah, self-revelation. True. He the, gives the yeah. revelations given to Kay. Yeah, and, and I think maybe that's where I'm probably being a little harsh with this book, is, like, there are probably points where they're like, oh, you don't have to follow these rules specifically. But when people give you broken down structures there's a part of me that like wants to resist because it's yeah. like you don't have to and there are more interesting ways to do it and yeah. you can kind of go your own way and like, be your own artist like all my professors that weren't in my creative writing things where it was like you can't start a sentence with the word and and it's like i think i just did that yeah. i think i did it and it flowed beautifully because <laughs> you got the pause of the period and the continuation of the sentence yeah. without the annoying semicolon and, and I, I stopped using my dash so fuck off <laughs> <laughs> I, I took a because I very briefly double minored and my second minor was in um, creative writing, but I I decided very shortly thereafter that I did not want to spend a whole extra year in college, uh, so I dropped back down to my single minor. But I took a fiction writing class and um, because I'm not a writer, I was incredibly guilty of that. I turned in a story for one of my short stories that was a very stereotypical trope filled ghost haunting story. Yeah. And it would have been a perfectly fine film. Like, I would have sold that (laughs) B-horror film and made some money, and it would have been all good, because it was interesting enough as is, but... My fiction writer tore, or my fiction tore professor you a new tore me a new one. She was like, oh my God, could you be more cliche? Here we go. Are we doing this again? Another, it's like the Chuck Palahniuk, the, the fucking take a break theory where mm. he's sitting back and he goes, oh great. Another this, that, the other thing. <laughs> I was super embarrassed during the yeah. workshop because I was, I was out of my league. I was workshopping. The fiction with... writers at MTSU <laughs> would fuck you up if they, if they sniffed bullshit on you. They were like, you don't even well, belong in Peck Hall. Get the fuck out of my building. Well, the professor in particular that taught my class, I don't know if it's the same professor you had. Did you have a warrior for fiction writing or did you have? Uh, for I had him for fiction writing and I had okay. him for flash fiction. So I yeah. had, I, I don't remember her name. Otherwise I would uh, like attribute some credit towards her because she was a fantastic teacher. I probably had teacher. her as well. She had short cropped hair and she was a fantastic teacher. Um, yeah, I think I know who But she didn't bullshit about. with you. And uh, yeah. I was in that class, I think, with people who were majoring in writing. <laughs> and you had you had to like submit work and like petition to be allowed into her class. Like she, yeah. you couldn't just apply. You had to be like, this is. That's a how it was with Arroyo. You yeah. needed other professors to recommend you to get into that room. Yeah. So like, I had to send her like works I had done like earlier in college and in high school and stuff, just to be like, I'm not. I've never not written before. You mm-hmm. know, like I've done this before. It's fine. And um, Did she hate that double negative. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I've never not written. 
<laughs> Did you mean always? There's just, some rules just, you can't break, Kristen Blue. I'm just saying it's it wasn't like I had never written a like structured English paper before, and like I I did have my senior year of high school. I did have a really fantastic English teacher yeah. who made us write like a really structured research paper, and um. Hated her at the time. Grateful for the experience <laughs> in post, though, because I was like, oh, I'm learning. Um, but yeah, I like had to like petition to be allowed in her class, and then I submit this basic-ass short story, because yeah. I was uh, double-minoring at the time, and fairly far into my film degree at this point, so mm. I was very stressed, and like, <laughs> like just trying to keep up, and I think I was in my first round of faith's class at the same time. So I was also writing screenplays. So yeah. I was like, here's just take this story. That's all I've got. We had this frat boy <laughs> and uh, I think it was for my flash fiction. And the rule was like, you had to get above 50 words. Um, Did no, you turn in 51? Do what? <laughs> Did you turn in 51? No, I, I used to fuck with Arroyo and turn in fi- 46 words. <laughs> I used to just play with him and be like, why 50, Arroyo? Why don't we flash him over here? Just like, <laughs> fuck with him every now He liked him. He, he never shit on me, but he'd be like, Brett, please don't. <laughs> just follow the rules for the class. Send me the others. Um, but uh, no, it wasn't for the flash fiction. It was for um, the fiction class. And we were, so that's my first semester. I'm dealing with this like angry fucking Hispanic guy who's just, he's hilarious. He's beautiful. He's one of the greatest people I've ever met. I've got nothing bad to say about Arroyo. Fucking love that dude. And, um, but you could see the anger in him, right? Like he would, he had these weird ticks where like he had a rubber band on his wrist. And every time somebody started talking, he'd just smile at him and start clicking the rubber band or he'd start like doing the pen clicks and he'd start patting on his lap, you know? <laughs> and, um, this kid, he, he was like a freshman. I don't know how the fuck you wound up in our classroom. Uh, but he was in a frat and, He'd taken the fiction writing class as part of his minor and had gotten hammered over the weekend and failed to write a story. And I think you needed like three to five pages a week. You've told me this story. Yeah. He wrote a story about how he went to a party. He wrote a story about his weekend where he just got fucked up, underage, did coke, fucking slept with random women and woke up and was hungover. And so he like got another beer and did it all again. But it was obviously just a diary of his weekend. And Arroyo made him read it out loud and then kicked him out of the class. <laughs> he just looked at him and he goes, I need to meet you outside. And then the kid stands up. He goes, no, bring your bag. And like he got up and he left the room. And then Arroyo basically just locked him out of the room and then had him kicked out of the class and replaced with another student. And we never saw that fucking kid again. (laughs) He's like, you don't belong here. I don't know who the fuck vouched for you, but I'm going to get them fired too. (laughs) I had a kid and I think it was my first... Um, I can't, I can't for the life of me remember what those classes were called, but there was a series of classes I had to take that like advanced in difficulty as you went on, where it was basically you had to make short films and submit them yeah. as the premise of the class. And you were given so many assignments throughout the semester that, that you the had one to with Bowman? Bowen. Yeah. Bowen. Um, so it was the first round of that. So mm-hmm. it was like the beginner-esque level, but at that point you're 
a junior senior in college, so it's not beginner. Um, yeah. Welcome to the real world, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and prior to that, I had had a teacher that taught predominantly editing, but there was at one point she had had us film like kind of like short interview things just to kind of get us in the habit. And she said you could shoot it with your cell phone, whatever. She didn't yeah. care. Uh, just get in the habit of like shooting and then editing your own work instead of editing stock footage they give you. Um, and hers was like a very basic like interview, like sit down, talk about yourself mm-hmm. and just basically answer questions and you don't need B-roll. It's just you in front of a camera. I'm Kristen. This is what I do. And this is what I studied and vote for me. Um, and so when I got to Bowen's class, like Bowen's a very like worked as a filmmaker before he yeah. became a professor, like a very serious about his craft. He's been on some professor. big projects, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, worked with very accomplished directors mm-hmm. and stuff. And like a professor that I really respected. And one of our assignments was, um, a interview documentary esque type of project mm-hmm. where you had to do an interview with a person and then have B roll almost like the stuff we watch on Netflix. Yeah. Um, like the dog intervention one is a, a good one. Um, where you have interviews with characters, but then you also have B-roll of yeah. the actual So events. as they're talking, yeah, you, you can see, cut to something. Yeah. You see the reality of the situation that they're in. And this kid submitted literally the basic sitting in front of camera, fade to black, between questions, oh, pop back Jesus. up between questions. It was just, this is what I do. This is where I'm from. Zero B-roll of any kind. And Bowen was very clear. Like, this is not what I want. I want B-roll. I want like a documentary-esque film. And like, he didn't kick him out of the class and he was in the class the rest of the well, semester. Well, my favorite thing about Arroyo was that he like he just kind of led him out and he was never seen again. For all we know, Arroyo killed that man in the hallway. No, Bowen <laughs> in class was like, you literally didn't even kind of follow the assignment. Yeah. Like he was like straight up was just like, you didn't even try. <laughs> like, you're not going to try. Why are you here? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but that was me in my fiction writing class. I turned in a basic bitch. Uh, ghost Stereotypical story. ghost story. And it would have been... lit on fire. It would have been a fantastic film. But I learned very quickly in fiction writing, you can't follow tropes. Nope. And that's why I disagree with his list. <laughs> and we can smell bitch on you from a mile <laughs> <Yeah>. away. <laughs> they, they tore me apart. I was so embarrassed during my workshop because they would give us like, it was your week to workshop. And it was my week to workshop. And How for, did that work? You didn't get like, like a literal week, but you had a couple of days. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and it was a small They class. used to give everybody, like, the week would be a workshop week. And so, like, you would be one of three on the first day. And, you know, some there'd be another three on the yeah. second day and three more to yeah. end the class. Yeah. And it, it may have been. I may have only had a day. I may be exaggerating in my mind because I was so embarrassed. But um, it was a very small class. There were maybe mm-hmm. ten of us. And so, yeah, you'd get, like, a day that was I can't your... imagine an entire class, <laughs> an entire, like, three hours of just, let's talk about my film. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. You know, I like, don't need that existential yeah. breakdown. I'll take like my 20 minutes. So. Your workshop day. So I was <laughs> humiliated for an entire day. And it was like, well, I'm good now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, you made us read this thing. And here we are. Are you ready to go make some fucking sloppy joes Joes and homemade macaroni and drink the rest of that bottle of wine and the other bottle of wine and then bust open the whiskey and call out again on Monday? No. No? No. Not at all prepared for that? Because it's happening. I mean, welcome to the world. Welcome to the fucking world. (laughs) I got a carbo load to absorb the evil. (laughs) Um, If you guys are still listening to this and want to like support where we are, you can find our... 
Let's plug at least one thing. Let's get better at this. YouTube.com slash Nightmare Box Productions. Go to YouTube.com slash Nightmare Box Productions and you can see the dolls. Yeah. You can birthday. see Happy Birthday. You can see Brainstorm. It's not on that YouTube. It's on my personal YouTube. YouTube.com slash Kristen Bloom. Yeah, because um, we originally, we didn't have the production company when we shot the dolls. So we originally uploaded the dolls on my YouTube. We have hit... 7.9. Fuck 7,900 yeah. views. Without even trying. <laughs> I mean, um, really just putting it up in Fire and Forget, you guys find it on your own. <laughs> it's also facebook.com slash nightmareboxproductions. Uh, I don't know when the last time we posted was. What's our email? Nightmareboxproductions at gmail. Does anybody check that? Uh, yeah, it's linked to my phone. Oh, okay. Send us emails, guys. We want to talk about shit. If you agree or disagree with anything that we're talking about on here, fucking feel free. Light us up. I don't give a shit. We we want, we would love to have your um, Tom's, I don't know. Fuck it. All right, we're going to go make dinner. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. I love you, baby. And bye. <laughs>